We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest, Matt Brooks. Guys, how are we doing? Got my man Matt back. I'm pretty happy. I'm uh, sorry for cutting you off already. I'm doing a terrible job guesting. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I, it's nice to have some, uh, some, some contact with people outside of the confining walls that I'm living in right now, like everybody else. <laughs> Social interaction is important. And you can find this show on <laughs> iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. And it's brought to you by BetOnline.ag. But Jack, I'm going to pass it over to you. All right, lads, somehow I came up with an entire Google Doc worth of Brooklyn Nets content. Let's get stuck in. The first one is our owner and his wife, Josiah and Clara, have made a donation of a 1,000 ventilators to the New York City area, their hospitals and stuff, and it now makes the total of what they've donated to the New York City area. It's 2.6 million face marks, 170,000 goggles, and 2,000 ventilators. It's really... Positive to see, because I think this is giving the Nets almost just like some good PR by association. Yeah, it might be, uh, might be the best. Is this the best Nets moment of the season? I'm yep. like, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> like, what most what meaningful competition? Yeah, like I, I, it was awesome. I was, I think that this was his big defining moment as an owner thus far. Um, and I, I do think that. I mean, you see, I, I'm not even going to go through. Uh, different owners on different teams but you do see that this stuff like 
these guys are business owners and, and people with just large sums of money. Um, it matters what they do outside of basketball, maybe more than anybody else in basketball operations and players involved as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great look. Yeah, it's a great look. It's obviously super positive to do something like this when you have the resources to do it. And, and obviously it's helping New York, helping New York City. And then also I think the fact that like some fans kind of got rubbed the wrong way by Joe Tsai with the whole China thing. This is kind of a way to rub them the right way. Like there's there's nothing negative you can say about this. So shout out to him and his family. Yeah, it seems really genuine as well. It seems like it's not coming from a place of where he wants to give himself some good PR, Alibaba PR. He just generally... He seems, and I think that's one thing uh, apart from the sort of the whole sort of China controversy, China Hong Kong controversy, is that Joe Tsai has always been heavily invested in the New York community. You know, the WNBA sort of acquisition, you know, being just a part of Brooklyn and sort of really sort of embracing the culture, embracing the city. And, you know, I, I think that at times where we need sort of these people with the deep pockets to help out, you know, I think that there aren't many people that I've seen step up and sort of be out there, especially in a city uh, as dire and, and, and as crucial as Joe Sy has done. So uh, massive shout outs to him, his wife and, and all the people that have sort of been helping out there in New York City. We are uh, anything, anything that's helping the healthcare workers right now, those guys are doing absolutely God's work. But anything else on, uh, on Joe Sy, guys, before we move on to a bit of superstar trade talk? Yeah, I just think it's a proud moment for this guy to be your owner of your team. Like you're happy about it, that yeah. this guy's your owner instead of, you know, what's going on in Houston or some of the other teams in the league. Like you mentioned, Jack, like helping the healthcare workers, whatever you can do, if you have, if you're able to do it and you're doing it, it's a great thing. So we'll get to the third stripe at uh, third superstar talk. And this is via uh, Brian Windhorst a little while ago. And he was saying, I believe they have telegraphed. They intend to use some of the young talent to acquire a third star along with Kyrie and Durant. My feel reading the tea leaves, tea leaves, paying attention to what Sean Marks has said, and also being aware of some conversations they had at the deadline, which was sticking the toe in the water on some things. I think they're going to swing for the fences whenever the season comes boys let's get spicy um all right so i'm interested to see when all of this happens i mean i hate to touch on like the gravity of the situation um i think that this summer prior to everything that's happened over the last month was going to be i i would have said i mean at least beal would have presumptively become available and he still might become available, at least by his own uh, means, I guess. Um, I would have expected that maybe one, maybe two stars, you're looking at like a Philly or, or even a Houston or somebody like that, could have possibly come available after an early playoff exit. We're probably not going to see that. So I actually am sort of leaning towards the Nets not making a big trade, especially with everything that's going on in the world right now, at least until next year's trade deadline. That's where I'm at right now. Um, that's been probably been probably been my biggest pivot over the last month is that I right. think that the timeline for this has been shifted so much with everything that's going on and so much in the air. Um, but I do think that there will be, you know, those same guys that I was looking at, those same teams that I was looking at to have guys, you know, possibly come, uh, you know, come away from where they're, they currently are. I, I would still be looking at those because those are the most high risk teams, Philly, Houston with possibly like a James Harden, maybe a Westbrook. Uh, and then, of course, Beal and some of the other names that we've heard in the wa the waiver wire for a little while now. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I just think it's funny that, you know, Wendy says this on a podcast and everyone's like, oh, this is news. Like, 
people have been talking about this since the last yeah. offseason. Like, <laughs> Annette's Twitter talks about it every single day. So I was just like, it was funny that it was news. But kind of like what Matt said, I think it's going to be based off of availability of, like, can you get this guy? I think, you know, all signs pointing to Sean Marks, at least seeing what's out there and him determining if maybe if this is too much of a price or maybe I'm just going all in and getting those three stars because we've talked about it before. If they add a Bradley Beal or a Ben Simmons or a Joel Embiid or Matt just mentioned James Harden, you know, something like that, I mean, you're pu- you're pushing yourself to a top three team and being a, a favorite in the East. So I think at the very least, Sean Marks is going to look at it. Yeah, I think it's. I think the reason why it makes it makes more news when Brian Windhorst says it is because I don't think Brian Windhorst says things just for the sake of saying them. You know, a lot I listen to his podcast and a lot of ESPN and just general NBA podcasts quite a bit. And whenever people within the know and have been around the wing say things and they put them out there, and he's a guy that's always like, "Don't aggregate me! Don't aggregate me! Don't aggregate me!" This is just an opinion. Same with Zach Lowe. But when they actually say stuff, you know, it means something. And I, I think that a lot of the time, you know, we sort of don't really get to see behind the scenes of what Sean Marks is doing. I think that we've seen it more lately now that the Nets have these two superstars. It's hard, it's harder to keep things in-house. But I guess I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you guys. If the Nets were to, say, hypothetically uh, acquire one of those guys, let's say Bradley Beal, and they've got that big three, KD, Kyrie, Bradley Beal, what is Brooklyn in terms of the realms of the NBA? Are they the 1A championship contender? Are they a top three team? Are they a top five team? You know, there's obviously the Bucks to think about. There's LeBron and the Lakers with another year. There's the Clippers with Kawhi uh, and Paul George. Where do they rank if they do somehow make that splash for the big three? Um, I'm, I'll, I'll grab this. Uh, I think that... I, if they do add a Beal, I think that greatly assists them in a lot of ways. But I think that their status as a top contender is already kind of like if if K. It all really comes down to like if their two existing stars are healthy in a lot of ways. Like you're adding that third star as a potentially depending upon who you're adding. If it's like a Bradley Beal, that's a little bit of you know not only somebody that can play off ball a little bit and well not even a little bit quite a bit. Um, and, you know, sort of be a third option in a sense. Um, He's also great injury insurance. He's somebody that can carry the team should one of their other guys go down, miss some time. But ultimately, you know, you have these two top 12 guys. They're the ones that are going to put them in that top, you know, really that top portion of the league. And I, I, I think they're already there. I mean, if we're talking, and again, in a world of hypotheticals, Kyrie's completely healthy all of next year, or at least for the most important parts. And KD looks like the old KD. Third star is awesome. It's the mm. cherry on top. But I don't know if that's necessarily what, you know, sort of is going to thrust them into that top tier. I think they're already there, personally. Yeah, I think 100% healthy. I mean, if they if KD was healthy this season, he never tore his Achilles, and you went into the season with this Nets team, you'd be looking at them probably being at worst the second best team in the East. If everyone was healthy, like you mentioned, Kyrie playing his games, Katie getting back to that level, Bradley Beal is just like that extra booster that just is like, hey, now if we do have an injury, we're still going to maintain that position. And if we're all healthy, now we're just at a different offensive talent than pretty much the rest of our conference. Because as good as a lot of the teams are, no one's putting out offensive firepower like Kyrie, Bradley Beal, and Kevin Durant. Like all three guys can easily drop 50 on a night. So I think it's just like, Put, just keep getting better, and I think it's just kind of not settling for what you have. Obviously, it, it comes down to a discussion, though. Do you value depth, or do you want to have you know your three stars? And we've saw the three stars have a lot of success in the last 10 years in terms of winning championships. 
Yeah, I mean, Billy said on one of our previous episodes that it's essentially unheard of for a, a big three not to win at least a championship. You know, they don't win all of them. You know, we've seen the Warriors lose a couple. We've seen the Heat lose a couple here and there. But it's very, very almost unheard of for them not to, you know, get get one chip out of it. I guess an unprompted question for you guys uh, out of the blue. Speaking about, you know, KD and Kyrie, does the fact that this season has been postponed on hiatus, maybe cancelled, benefit the Nets or hinder the Nets? Uh, can I say neither? I, I, I was I thinking the same thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it does much for them either way because I don't really. Uh, this team was very obviously, I think, going to be a team that loses in four or five and had you know four or five games in the first round and um, was missing you know and and had both of their best players ruled out until next season. Um, you know, it might depending upon how far the season gets pushed out next year. If it, you know, if it even gets pushed out, it might start exactly on the the, the normal start uh, start date for the season. Um, if it does get pushed out, though, it might give a little bit of extra time for Kyrie to get into his groove and fully rehab back. But I, I think it won't really change, honestly. The only way it would benefit the Nets is if for some reason this season gets postponed and Katie and Kyrie do play with technically in the 2019-20 season and they wipe off the rust, they build up some chemistry, and Sean Marks is able to evaluate the team and see like, hey, I need to add this guy, I need to take away this guy, or maybe we're more concerned about somebody's health. But that would probably be the only way it would benefit them if you know there's no play in the season where just to start normally in October or November, December, whatever. I don't think it really has much of an impact. Yeah, I think there's benefits there, and I, I did see that the NBA is looking at they don't want to finish the season any later than American Labor Day, which I think is uh, September 1st. You know, and you know we could see you know Kevin Durant, but if he were to play in the playoffs in some form of the imagination, the timeline fitting his Achilles rehab would allow to have him back. I think that there is some benefit to it, only because it allows us to sort of rest our guys and sort of take the pressure off Kevin Durant and, and all that sort of chatter. So I mean, it quiets Nets Twitter a little bit, which is. Uh, sometimes something that we all need a little bit. I think we've all seen that uh, a little bit. But I guess moving on and, and speaking about packages in general, and we saw Carol Savert really burst back onto the scene in the latter points of the season. That Boston Celtics game uh, was a really just insane performance, career night for him. Would you include Levert in a package for Drew Holiday, Bradley Beal? What is the minimum package? What is the minimum star, quote unquote, that you would put Levert in a package for? Because I guess it's a, it's about subjectivity. Who, what do you guys think Levert is worth on the market in comparison to some other stars around the league? I'm going to go, I'm going to jump ahead of you, Matt. And this is where I'll backstep on the last question you asked me. I actually think the Nets would benefit if the season were to come back because they would allow to see Karis LeVert play the rest of the year and have a bigger okay. sample size of who he is. And if he had another successful postseason run, I think that boosts up his trade value. So I think, you know, just going back to that previous question, I think it does have an impact on trade value for certain guys if they're able to excel across the thing. It's a really tough decision. I've obviously hold some bias with Karis LeVert, you know, being one of my favorites on the team. But um, I think, you know, he's probably the guy that get, gets most negotiations done. You know what I mean? He's going to be the key piece where, like, the other team can really think, like, hey, if I get this guy in the right scenario, he's going to be an all-star. And if you think, you know, trading for one of these guys is going to push you to that next level, I think you have to include Levert. You know, I, I obviously don't want to, but I think that's probably the right move as a GM. And I think the rest of the trade, the other assets you include is going to matter, but I think the key chip in most trades is going to be Karis Levert. Uh, that's a great point. Honestly, I, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I, I guess that would have been their big benefit. I mean, the, the the thing that was like, you know, and I, I 
I do like hate to make a silver lining out of all this, but um, it was nice that we got to see a little bit of like, you know, Karis Levert, the the old Karis Levert. I think that we'd been yep. waiting for all year. Um, and it, I do think it was enough to like for him to be a real centerpiece of a package for somebody like a Beal or definitely a Holiday uh, or or somebody like a. You know, I don't. I don't know who else would come available. Maybe even a, a Simmons and Bead. Um, yeah. Any of those guys. I, I think he's a real centerpiece guy that teams can talk themselves into. I personally would. Is Holiday enough, or is it is the line? I guess of what the Nets get back, Bradley Beal. It has to be like a, a top fifteen, you know, All NBA caliber, bona fide All Star consistently, or is Drew Holiday the guy that fits? you know, schematically next to KD and Kyrie perfectly as a sort of defensive guy, can do uh, a lot of things that Kyrie can do as a point guard and floor general, can hit the three, is an, is probably one of the best defenders out of the sort of the guys that have been mentioned other than maybe, you know, Embiid and Simmons. Is that, would you include, just just purely with Drew Holiday in a, in a trade for Drew Holiday, does Levert go in that package or are the Nets giving up too much? Is it just didn't, could they get away with just a Dinwiddie, Allen, Prince, Picks, etc.? Uh, I'm going to jump in if you guys don't mind. Uh, I actually think he's probably like the line in the sand just because of, as you said, how much he fits. He's not, I I think he's probably a little bit closer to like a, for looking at topless, which I've done a lot lately because I have a lot of time at home. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, He, uh, he's probably closer to that like 20, 25 range, but because of his skills, which as you said, um, you know, really seamlessly fit with what the Nets are looking for uh, in a way. He's almost like a little bit of like a Kyle Lowry mold of a star where he's a a glue guy in a sense, but he's like the highest degree of being a glue guy. I would, if you know, it it would, and in the same way that I can almost see like Ben Simmons best being utilized where Draymond's in that, in that class too. Uh, these guys that aren't necessarily filling up the boss scores with traditional numbers, but they're doing everything else. I, I think that Holiday would probably be the line for what I'd be looking at when, you know, possibly getting rid of Karis LeVert. Anything below that, I'm like, I, I kind of have seen quite a bit from Karis LeVert to be like, yeah, I can talk myself into what he would bring next to Kyrie, uh, especially with the way he was locking in defensively, uh, really down the stretch of this potentially uh, incomplete year. I, I, I think that, you know, that's... That's probably about it right there. Yeah, I think that's right, man. I think Holiday would be the line. I would say this too. If I'm trading Levert for Holiday, I'm probably not giving up as much in terms of the full deal. Where if I'm trading Levert for Bradley Beal, I'm having to include other things. So I think that if you look at it that way, it's more acceptable, I guess, in terms of like a, who who won the trade type of thing. But after that, you're looking at like, all right, could Karis Levert possibly be one of these guys that we're trading for? And we're just, you know, jumping the gun. And it's, again, we have him on this contract that could end up being a major steal. So I think if you you take contract into it too a little bit, that's where it gets even more tricky. Yeah, that's totally fair. In that sort of realm, guys, we've sort of spoken about Dinwiddie, we've spoken about Levert, we've spoken about Allen, and Nick, you put this on Twitter a little while ago, got plenty of traction on it. Rank those three in terms of their trade value. And, I mean, I remember we've done this probably on, on plenty of Buzz episodes, and it changes almost like game by game. Like, Levert has a superstar game, and then, like, Spencer Dinwiddie leads us against the Lakers. It's quite hard. I think we all know that Jared Allen's at number three. I guess it is, does Dinwiddie or Levert have more trade value at this stage? I'd say Lavert has more trade value at this point because of an extra year on his contract. I think that makes a big difference because if you're trading for Dinwiddie, 
you're not going to pay him this price. You're going to end up paying him probably close to 20 million a year where you have Levert on that other deal and you can kind of work your books. If you're, you know, trading for Spencer, you're thinking, Hey, I got to do it. And I think in terms of a player, you know, Spencer has been more consistent and more durable where Karras has shown the higher peaks. I agree with you. Um, I'm just going to try to make the case the other way. Cause I think it'd be fun to try to have a little discussion about this. Yeah. Um, Karras is a weird player. I, I think that we can agree in that. Um, he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands a lot. He's not really a guy who distributes the ball. I mean, he has moments where, and he, he's been a good like distributor to their bigs and like the dump off situation, but he is somebody that needs the ball in his hands a lot. And like the most ideal situation for him thus far has been on this Nets team, which is probably a little bit closer to like a 30, what, 38, 39 win team. Um, so I think you could make the case that, like, if you're a team and you're looking for, let's say you're, like, a Phoenix or somebody like that, and you're like, you know what, I could really use, you know, maybe we're not liking what we see from Rubio, who I think has been fine this year, but let's say they're not, you know, enthused with uh, Ricky Rubio this year, and they're like, let's get a guy who knows what he's doing, moves the ball pretty well, can score on his own, you know, when we take Booker out, uh, you might actually look at Dinwiddie over a Karis LeVert. I'm just trying to make the case, again, I would probably take Karis over Dinwiddie just because of, you know, all the things that we've mentioned about him, the star power that I think is really there, um, you know, and being a top-end guy, I think he just has a little bit more of a ceiling still. But I, I think there is a case to be made depending upon which team you are. Yeah, fit I think is really important because if you're looking at Karis, I don't think you're looking as much of a true point guard. I think... You know, he's more of a secondary playmaker where he has the dump off passes down low. I think he's improved on some of the perimeter passing, but he's never going to be a guy that, you know, averages, you know, eight or 10 assists. Yeah, I do honestly believe as well that Levert's injury pro nature mm. is something that I, I would worry about. You know, he's a guy that when he's out there for for the most part has been an incredibly productive player and is really starting to mature and, and find his footing as, as what he is and his confidence as well. But you know, when we have seen Karis Levert come back, we've watched you know every book on this game for the past two or three years. There's times where it's like it takes Karis five or ten games to sort of find his way a little bit. And if you're a team, it's just like you're giving up a premium for him, and he's your one A guy to put alongside a Devin Booker, and you're building your future alongside Devin Booker and Karis Levert, which I think would actually be quite nice out in Phoenix, hypothetically. I still think that they're are genuine risks about Carlos Avert's injury pro nature that have been there since he was drafted. Whereas Spencer Dinwiddie, you know what you're getting. Yes, sir, there is the contract issue, as sort of Nick mentioned, but I think that Carlos Avert's contract, three years, 52 million, might not necessarily be seen as a bargain. It, I think it's probably at about range now. You know, I think we've got maybe a little bit of unders in terms of the length of the contract, but I think the, the price of it fits. Uh, in general. And I think that you could probably get Spencer Dinwiddie for around that sort of mark, $17 million a year. You might have to give him three or four years. Maybe if you're training for him, you're giving him five years. I'm not 100% sure. But I genuinely do think that it's not as close as a lot of people think. And I know Nick is probably, you know, uh, Matt mentioned he's a weird player. Nick Nick Faye is a weird dude. He, he loves his weird players. <laughs> but in, in general, I think that the gap isn't that close because I think Spencer Dinwiddie you know, played all-star level basketball this year. When he's the 1A guy, he can be a six-man-of-the-year contender. I think he's a bit more flexible in the way that he can play as well than Karras is. Karras is a little bit sort of more sort of uh, narrow narrow in, the, in his skill set in how he can impact the team. But I think Karras can be better defensively. But I think Spencer did what he sort of... It's, it's sort of like there are 
we're nitpicking a little bit. And, and I, I don't think the gap is that wide. I, I think that the ceiling, we always speak about ceiling and floor. Ceiling of Karis Avert, way higher than Spencer Dinwiddie. Even the, the fact that you know, Karis is only like a year younger. Spencer Dinwiddie's floor, though, I think is a lot a lot more uh, within that range because he is incredibly durable, incredibly consistent. And you know what you're going to get from him. Yeah, I would definitely say Spencer would be like the safer move in a trade. And like, and I think it would provide more value like Spencer to a team that is trying to contend or make the playoffs where Karras would be more attractive to a team that's younger and trying to still rise up where like, you know, Spencer's not going to come into, you know, you're not going to be like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is the main key piece we got and traded for this all-star and we think he can turn into this guy. I'm not sure if Spencer's going to get much better than what he is. And I don't think that's a terrible thing. I think he's a fringe all-star player, but I, like you mentioned, there's still more hope for Karras. I think one thing, even though the injuries have hampered him, it's also kind of given you like some hope that he can continue to get better because of the lack of basketball. He's really played almost his entire career. If he could just stay healthy, you'd be really intrigued about the jump he can make. Even just the year we saw, you know, prior to last season, he played majority of the games in uh, 2017, 2018, and he was able to make that off-season jump, and then sadly he had the ankle injury. But when he had that full year of work, he took a substantial jump. Totally fair. Totally, totally fair. I guess we'll get to the guy that we mentioned in passing, Jared Allen. And With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From the online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE. To join today and receive your new welcome bonus, Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Matt, I know you did a piece of film study for, for Nets Daily, and I guess I'll ask the question that you posed in the in the title, my friend. Mm-hmm. Will Jared Allen be a Brooklyn Net next season? Um, I'm leaning towards no, unless it, yeah, I, I I think probably no. Um, although I don't know. I would say if he is a net next season, I don't think he'll be long there. Um, you know, this gets into the tricky waters of like, when does the season return? And when do, you know, when does it feel at almost, I don't know how to describe this. Like, when does it feel acceptable for GMs to be dealing with each other? It just feels like a really weird time to even think yeah. about that with everything that's going on in the world. Uh, but to kind of get away from that grim topic, uh, I, I, you know, if he is there, I don't think he'll be there long. Um, I, I just like, it, it was already such a, a tough subject between who should start between him and DeAndre. And it was clearly a bigger issue than any of us realized just based on everything that was reported, whether that be true or not. Um, I always think there's a little bit of truth in, in, you know, when, when a topic comes up over and over and over in people's reportings, I just am usually going to trust that. Uh, so yeah, I think he probably won't be there next year. He's kind of duplicative with what DeAndre does. And honestly, I- I'll say it. Like, DeAndre DeAndre outplayed him down the stretch. Right. Um, yeah. We so, said the same thing over the last month of the season. I think DeAndre was a better player. He was just more consistent. Yeah. And, like, I've been the Jared Allen guy on this whole on this Nets beat this whole year. But, mm. um, yeah, I-, I think he got outplayed. Most advanced metrics will kind of let you know that. Uh, and, you know, I-, I would hope that they would look for a different option 
as their backup or starting center, just to give themselves a little bit of flexibility because that's that's the stuff that matters when it comes to playoff time. Uh, I know we've all speculated about the idea of KD playing the five. I think that'll happen, but I expect that to be a close up, uh, a closeout lineup. You just need different counters for different teams. You never know who you're going to face. Even though it's the East, you need to be prepared for everything. Having two of the same guy in in a sort of rim-running, shot-blocking center, I don't know if that's the way to do it. So I would lean towards no right now. Yeah, I would probably lean towards no as well. I think you just look at the fit, and there's no need for having two of those guys. And Jared Allen still has enough value where you can move him to give you another piece that could help this roster. And doesn't necessarily even have to be in a star trade. I think you could move Jared Allen to find a role player that just fits the better need of this team. And I think you can find okay centers for cheap and free agency. I don't think you need an elite center when you already have all these great players. We saw a lot of the championship teams really not have great centers. You know, Marcus Hall was great for Toronto, but you look at those Golden State teams, or even you look at Cleveland, Tristan Thompson was really just a supercharged role player. So I think it, it would make kind of sense for the Nets. And to be honest, I just, the thing, the question about Jared Allen was, is he a championship level center? And I don't think he proved that this season. There's just so much inconsistency. And one thing I always bring up is he just gets punked by a lot of players and they just don't respect his toughness. And I think it's tough to be a, a championship center and not just have that respect of your peers. Like you just consistently see guards and small forwards shoving him like he's a point guard. Well, his his biggest uh, detriment to Brooklyn is his age and his biggest advantage to him and to, I guess, other teams, maybe a, like a rebuilding situation, is his, his age. age. Yeah. So, yep. so, I mean, if you're looking at, and like I actually think that's probably the biggest point of anything, even more than the duplicative nature with DeAndre Jordan, is that he just is on a different timeline. Like, I'm yep. surprised that we all didn't kind of stumble upon this earlier. I know that we obviously will always go for the in-house method. Um, but I'm surprised that these discussions weren't had more, you know, coming into this year with Jared Allen being like, yeah, that guy's really young. Like, I don't know what that's going to look like. You know, I know the Warriors have made it work in, in years past with, you know, a, a sort of <laughs> a, a variety of young centers and, and other teams have done that as well. But, you know, I, I think that with the way that Brooklyn plays and the drop coverage system and, um, with the East having so many, you know, strong big men, it's weird how much that conference is is run through bigs uh, with Philly, Indiana. Um, you could even qualify. New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't beat the Knicks if you got Jared Allen in there. Uh, Milwaukee too. Like it's. I I do think that that's something that's worth um, keeping in mind. So. I think we got kind of tricked by the age because he just improved so much so fast. Even his rookie season, like no one expected him to really have an impact. And he came onto the scene. He ended up being the starter midway through the season and then like continued growth. And I think everybody anticipated like another big jump this year. And I just think we haven't saw it. And like you mentioned, I think, you know, we talk about this a lot. You know, it's not like you're improving every single year. Someday you might take a decline and then you might go up again the next year. So it's it's tough. What are you thinking, Jack? Yeah, one thing that's that spurred to mind and when you guys were having a discussion is the fact that I think Jared Allen really missed an opportunity as a three-point shooting big man. And he said, you know, in the preseason, in, in every preseason that he's had with the Nets, he's always been practicing it. I think that he, if he had have become at least somewhat of a capable three-point shooter in a sort of Miles Turner light version, you know, I've compared him to a lot to Miles Turner, former college teammate or former college alumni. I think that he would have been that sort of point of separation. Whereas now the Nets have this young, really spry dude who's almost 
uh, Jared Allen light with a bit more sort of variety of skills in Nicholas Claxton. You don't need two young guys, two young centers that can do somewhat similar things. Whereas I think Nick Claxton's offensive skill set is more well-rounded and Jared Allen's defensive skill set is much more solid. I think that that's where he really missed the opportunity. He could have been like, all right, I'm going to shoot three threes a night and I don't care if they go in or whatever. It's just that I think his confidence level never let him do that. If he didn't see it go in, I think, I don't know how many he shot for the season in general and how many he made for that matter. I could look it up, but I think he really missed the opportunity there. Yeah. I felt like last year that was going to be a thing because I remember starting off opening night in Detroit, he shot like, two or three two or three or something amount of threes and he knocked down like one or two and everyone's like oh shit jared allen's gonna shoot threes this year (laughs) and and it never became a thing yeah it's weird how they did that one of my biggest gripes is that and i like this is such a i I already know that this is such an old-fashioned way to look at this um and i weirdly it's like based on how brooke lopez grew his game uh but i i thought it was weird that they didn't like grow him out from the mid-range and then Mm. have him take threes I felt like with with Jared Allen, like he was such a strong free throw shooter. I I think that they should have like sort of I like this is such an annoying like this is one of my worst sports blogger moments in a minute. (laughs) I'm like, here's how they should have developed Jared Allen. But I I was always interested that they just kind of like threw him in the corner and said, all right, let's do it. And, you know, I mean, whatever. We're we're splitting hairs over something that is just a, a, a hypothetical. But. Yeah, it's right. like let's shoot a couple elbow jumpers and then yeah. we'll at least move to the three point line. Like, Hassan Whiteside was taking eighteen footers. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, in that sense, he shot fifteen in his rookie season, forty five last season, and he shot five obviously in the shortened season in sixty four games. Didn't make any of them. And I think the point you made about his free throw shooting as well, Matt, is really sort of poignant. He was only 62% from the free throw line this year, whereas 77, 78 in his um, rookie season and 70% last season. So I think that we lost uh, a pretty confident Jared Allen this season. And I think a lot of that is partly due to his play, partly due to coaching, partly due to DeAndre being there. But, you know, we didn't saw. Yeah, pressure. We sure yeah. we, we saw Jared Allen in moments, but we didn't see the consistency that you sort of expect in that third and fourth season for most players to do. I think it's a bit hard for big guys though as well at the same time. Especially when I think teams also did a better job of taking away what Jared Allen did well. Like they did a better job of shutting down mm-hmm. some of those rolls to the rim because I mentioned this on a previous show, like teams just stopped respecting Torian Prince's three point shot and it was just so much easier to collapse the paint. True. Very true. Very, very true. And and I guess we, we can sort of pivot a little bit, guys. And I guess sticking with sort of like team building in general, thinking forward to the 2021 season. And the mid-level exception is, I think, something that's going to be a big thing. You know, Brian Windhorst and Bobby Marks mentioned on their podcast. And the Nets, I guess, have a range where they've probably got maybe five or six million dollars. They don't have the full mid-level exception. But we have a little bit of money to play with to sort of get a guy that, you know, Nets Twitter has fallen in love with, with a guy like Sergio Barker and stuff. What do you think? I have uh, I did a little bit of research and just looked up some names and I'll throw them at you after you guys have a bit of a chat. What do you think is, is the priority at, at that sort of mid-level exception? Is it a Serge Ibaka to sort of be that 4-5 who would probably fit ideally and would be you mm-hmm. know the 1A guy, but I think some people might be willing to pay him a little bit more. But what are your thoughts? On, on Serge Ibaka or just the exception? Just give me what you got, man. Give, All we right, got I got time. you. We got I got time. you. Uh, we got I'll time. tell you. I'll tell you one thing. If Serge Ibaka accepts the exception, uh, things did not go well in free agency for him. (laughs) He's had an awesome year. Like, an awesome year. And it has been nothing but good press about Serge Ibaka for the last year. Um, 
especially after, uh, like right after he left OKC and went to Orlando, everybody was like doubting how old he was. Uh, yeah. So a remarkable turnaround by him. Um, yeah, I, I think that if he if he does take the exception, um, unless it ends up with being a, a championship in Brooklyn or wherever he goes, uh, I, I I would be pretty dubious of that happening. What's the exception uh, supposed to be right now? It's normally at like that sort of $9.8 million right. range. Um, but obviously, we don't know what the salary cap's going to be and the like. But Nick, before I throw some names at both of you, what, what are your thoughts on surge and the middle-level exception in general? Surge signs with the Nets. KD did something great. Like, he yeah. hooked him up. <laughs> KD did it. Uh, he did something. I don't know what it is, but that's the only way it's really happening. Unless Surge is like, hey, I want to hunt for another championship, and he thinks this is his best bet. We know they're pretty close, but... I mean, there is a slim chance that things in free agency could get really, really, really weird because of the whole salary cap situation. So I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it would definitely be driven by off the court relationships that have just like makes him want to play with his friends. Yeah, I mean, as Nets fans, I think we've sort of seen in the past where relationships uh, matter. <laughs> yeah, relationships matter. And Mikhail Prokhorov did some some sort of Russian backcourt dealings to get Andre Kirilenko on the squad when we had KG and Paul Pierce. So maybe some Alibaba connections for Joseph Sy could do something. I don't know. But other names I'll throw at you, and this is probably some of these are unrealistic, but I just went through just contracts around the league and guys who are free agents and might be some sort of a chance to get the at the Nets. Paul Millsap, Danilo Gallinari, Tristan Thompson, Derek Favors, Markeith Morris, Marcus Morris, and Aaron Baines. Any of those guys tickle your fancy at all? I feel like we could maybe get Millsap, Millsap. because, yeah. Because I think that, like, also his skill set is great for the Nets, but he could be a guy hunting for a championship. Being a veteran, knowing it's like, probably towards the end of his career and it's a great opportunity he's not going to start and he's going to give you somebody you could bring off the bench that could just provide a lot of different skills for you and I think he's also a nice veteran to have around like I've never heard a bad thing about Paul Millsap either yeah Millsap uh I would Baines possibly Baines is older than you think that's what I learned in in writing a bunch of fake trades uh in February is that he's a little bit older than you how old is he I believe he's 32, 31. He might be even he might be even a little bit older. Um, stats and research on the go. 33. 34. Oh, we're turning 30, 34, right? 34 in December. Um, so, yeah, he's a little bit older than you'd expect. Yeah, I guess for the role that we want him Jack, to we're going to need you to get some hookups because he's an Australian, so you can do something <laughs> here. We can't put it all on KD. Oh, I mean, don't worry about that, mate. You know, when Team USA, when the Aussies finally get – I don't even know if Aaron Baines is in Australia. I know that Joe Ingles is, is still in Utah, but I have no idea where Aaron Baines is in the world. Probably somewhere in the jungle fighting off lions <laughs> and bears, uh, doing, winning the Hunger Games Challenge for OGG basketball. But yeah, I, I, Paul Millsap for me, I think that, you know that Charles Barkley meme, we need to start a conversation. That's the conversation we need to start on next Twitter. You know, Paul Millsap is going to become the new Serge Barker. We're going to get this guy. We're going to make him buy into the Brooklyn Nets system. I think he has been one of the Denver's best players this year. And defensively, whenever he has been out there, he transforms that team in so many ways. And I think that, you know, if he is does have the priority for a championship, we could get him a la David West style. You know, I think that the mm. Spurs were offering him for like two years, $20 million, and then the, the Warriors weren't offering him that much, but he wanted that chip. And if Millsap wants that chip, I think he's got a, a decent enough chance playing alongside Kyrie and, and KD. So we need to start a conversation. We're getting Paul Millsap, ladies and gents. 
34 uh, it, years old, too, from Millsap. So just another older guy they could probably attack. And he's shooting 44% from three this season. It's kind of mind-blowing. Well, the even more interesting thing is I he's been like a top post-up guy. He was, I don't remember what he was averaging, some absurd efficiency from the post uh, last year in the playoffs. It will be hilarious when the Nets go from a team that had like what, like <laughs> Eight Zero post-ups post all year, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> to Katie and Kyrie and and Millsap posting up, and they're going to be in the top portion of the league. I think that'll be hilarious, just as an, as a slight aside. <laughs> I absolutely Kenny will be crying somewhere about that. Eating <laughs> his uh, steak, according. And we to get the... his ex-player and Paul Millsap too, like for <laughs> for Kenny. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Well, uh, Matt, you alluded to your trades a little bit earlier. Uh, we're going to revisit revisionist history, February fifth, twenty twenty. Netsdaily.com. Matt's uh, spurning out a ridiculous amount of content. So. We're going Spencer Dinwiddie to the Philadelphia 76ers for Josh Richardson. Uh, you're giving that a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you know, a month or two later. I'm still with it. I like yeah. Josh Richardson. I, uh, I I think he fits uh, pretty nicely next to Kyrie. Um, and I actually like that role way more for him. Um, just as somebody that can just focus on defense a little bit more. His three-point shooting is a little iffy. Um, and he's never been a guy who can create his own shot, which I guess doesn't really matter on this team. But... No, I, I like it. Um, I, I think that it's not like a home run type of thing. Like, I don't think that <laughs> it would set Nets Twitter on fire, but I at least stand by it, which is a, a good, you know, with how fast this league moves. Um, it's yes. good to stand by something from a month ago. <laughs> yeah, I Jake, think the fit, it, the fit is there, especially if you, you know, you keep Karis Avert in the situation. You don't make the star trade. You move Karis to be you know, the lead of that second unit. And Richardson, I feel like, is in a great role when he doesn't have to do a lot where you're asking him to play defense, you're asking him to shoot threes. And you look at the Philly team, I would say one reason he struggled at points is just because of their lack of good guards. Mm-hmm. So I feel like this situation for him, maybe you could even see his three-point percentage go up because he'd be playing with some of the most elite spacers in the league. And obviously Richardson's still on a nice contract too. I mean, it's almost exactly the same as Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm, I'm reading that. my column right now so I don't get grilled here uh i'm gonna quote <laughs> myself which is the most vain thing I've ever done. <laughs> uh, apparently he sunk 38.6 percent of his catch and shoot uh threes a season ago uh in an offense that you know um actually has spacing so there you go i'm I look at look at february matt doing the research for me <laughs> well february matt I, uh, his second proposal was spencer dimwitty and garrett temple to Maybe one of Nets Twitter's <laughs> alumni's favorite guys, Aaron Gordon. Yeah, I should give two big middle fingers to uh, February Matt for bringing Aaron. <laughs> into this. I mean, look, we know what he brings. He's a he's a four or five that could, you know, reasonably actually play serious minutes at the five in the playoffs. Um, he's guarded. You know, he really did an awesome job against uh, Kawhi in that in that series that no one is ever going to think about again, except for me who brings this up like once a month. Um, but yeah, true, no, you know, he's a transition force. He gives Brooklyn a different layer in, in, in like, I guess, types of scoring. Great, great cutter. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been, you know, really burned into the ground. And I now know, by the way, that Garrett Temple may never get traded. I, I mean, he, we might as well call this a big four with how much he <laughs> seems to be in with, with Kyrie and KD and and DeAndre, so <laughs> fair point, fair point. And number four on your list, Spencer Dinwiddie and Garrett Temple to Denver for your man Gary Harris and Monte Morris. Oh man, justifying the Gary Harris thing is tough. Uh, all right, 
You know, Monte Morris might have more value now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, no, no, you're not wrong. That's the thing. <laughs> uh, boy, how do I how do I spin this one? You know, it's it's just that that selfish Nikola Jokic. You know, just getting away from the guy. <laughs> I got nothing, guys. I'm sorry. I was I was uh, I was drunk off the uh, the Gary Harris um, the the Gary Harris tea a, a year ago and uh i i don't know if i can justify this one. <laughs> nick can you justify it i don't think i can i mean if you told me this two years ago i probably could because gary yeah. harris seemed like he was a lock to be one of these up-and-coming shooting guards like ideal three and d in that denver system but the three shot the three-point shot is just lost i don't know if it's like the amount of injuries he's had to deal yeah. with or just some of the fit like so many other pieces coming in and getting touches and now he's kind of like just one of those options that's pushed to the side. I don't really know. I'd say on the contract, I just couldn't do the deal. Like if he was on a better deal, I'd probably be more intrigued. But it's also like the injury concern. It's like now you're both your two guards have injury history, and now you're just kind of screwed. Like Monty Morris would be a nice fill-in for Spencer Dinwiddie as like a nice backup because I like what he does. But yeah. uh, Gary Harris kind of lost my interest. No offense, Matt. <laughs> no, no, I got you. I, I think that like I, I kind of viewed this year as just a down year for him um at the time of writing this and i can still sort of talk myself into it but yeah i it's the injuries i don't think i thought about enough at that point and i think that's really what's like sapped him so yeah i would stay away from it because as we know this brooklyn team has enough things to worry about with injuries so. 100%, yeah you're not you're not wrong there I, I guess out of the rest of these ones matt which one do you think is maybe one of the more realistic ones which one do you think improves the team the most uh, you did really go in depth and uh, we appreciate any content and we're going to revisit <laughs> content it's evergreen my friend it's evergreen oh, i mean God. at this point it definitely is with the way the season is <laughs> like <laughs> should i just plug this again on my twitter like hey guys with this <laughs> now that there's just a, a work stoppage um yep. i i to shout out the uh the maxi kleber trade yeah. um i i do hate to put your guy joe harris in this you know, Whoa. let's pretend he's not even in there. It's somebody else. Uh, <laughs> you know, X <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Um, no, I, I have to do this one because for my guy, uh, for my guy Nolan Jensen, I think that ninety yeah, percent of our exchanges are just about how amazing Maxi Kleber is. Uh, he would fit pretty well still, especially He'd be with, a great fit. He would be sweet, man, because he's. <laughs> You know, he is a, a real backup center that knows he's a backup center. There'd be no questions about that. He's awesome, by the way, and is totally starting caliber. But, you know, he's this, like, multi-positional defender. He can shoot threes. He can take you off the dribble. I'm, like, a huge Maxi Kleber guy. Um, I don't know what it would look like in Brooklyn. I don't know how Nets fans would react to him. But, you know, I could see it either going like people would expect more out of him and you know, they'd kill him for an inconsistent three-point game or it'd be like this is the greatest net of all time <laughs> <laughs> i mean i like the flexibility he provides you know he ends up switching a decent amount in dallas too it's kind of the same thought i had with aaron gordon it's just like if you can get one of these guys that like provides you offensive versatility too because he'll give you that extra floor spacing and then all of a sudden you're rolling out a center that is spacing the floor and now Kyrie and KD can attack the paint like that's just wild to think with two of the probably elite iso scorers in the league if you're able to have a center that can stretch the floor it's a game changer yeah big time uh any anything else from that uh obviously sensational article and nets daily is obviously doing incredible work as is matt brooks anything else stick out from that one before we move on my friend uh i'm just looking through it there are some interesting ones i forgot kelly Oubre was like briefly yeah. totally available that was i just forgot about that uh 
No, I, I, I like the Maxi Kleber one. The Kelly Oubre one is interesting. I think he's been brought up a little bit here and there. Um, but I, I think that those two are probably the best two. Um, I love that I included the aforementioned Aaron Baines in this column. <laughs> Very <laughs> yeah, on brand. Yeah, I, mostly, I mostly just want to acquire, uh, just, well, be, form an alliance with the Aaron Baines Stan account. I just think there'd be nothing more magical. <laughs> I can tell you it's really efficient for your uh, Twitter productivity. Yeah, <laughs> for selfish reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't hate the the Phoenix one. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't want to lose Joe Harris. You might have. No, it's, like... it's pretty, it's, it's, I mean, that point, like you, I think it's funny because I always talk about like trading guys at their peak and basement value. The inclusion of Jer- of uh, Joe Harris at this point was him at basement value. Like this was this is one of those times where I'm looking back. I'm like, man, I was way down on Joe Harris at this point because now it's like I'm you know I'm I'm very much at the point where I'm like this guy could be awesome for the Nets next year. I think he will be. So but, yeah, I mean he's gonna have the most spacing he's had in his entire career. Like be sweet. It, that's why I'm just like super intrigued that they're able to add a big that can shoot threes that can just stretch the floor. Even if it's not full time, it's just for stints of the game where they just have these offensive like bursts. It's just ridiculous. Or like you mentioned, playing Katie at the five and then playing him with somebody like an Aaron Gordon that can give you some of that toughness and athleticism that like make sure you don't get killed on the boards too. I mean, the Nets have a lot of options. I think the most important thing if I'm Sean Marks, I'm looking at like you kind of hinted at this earlier, Matt, is having a lot of counters, like a lot of different <laughs> skill sets on the roster so you can match what you have out there and you have Kyrie and KD. So it's just like those two pieces are set. It's about making sure the other 13 guys in the roster can help you in some way or another. And that's why you know, a lot of us think the young guys are going to be gone. Can I do I, – I, I'm just being the uh, the <laughs> overbearing guest right now. Um I'm going to ask what do you guys mind if I ask one question real you quick? You can ask 10 questions. All right, I'm going to ask I'm going to be I'm asked one. I'm be uber efficient over here. Call me Joe Harris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, would you guys so of any position so let's say we're not even thinking about like stars or players, any position of need, what position do you think the Nets want? Like would you want like a stretch 5, the 4 that forever seems to plague the Nets or at least Nets Twitter? Uh a, a two guard, like what would you guys want positionally speaking more than anything else? For me, it's a, a wing prototype, sort of like an Aaron Gordon-esque mm. player. A, a sort of, you know, it is the four, I guess, if we're if we're boiling it down to a position. But it's a guy that could play a little bit of three, and you, you can sort of interchange with KD at the three, the four, and the five. That guy that has a little bit of changeability because we've spoken about the sort of center position where we we're speaking about DeAndre and Jared Allen, and I think you can find makeshift guys there for you know 30 minutes a night DeAndre is going to do you know a decent enough job for 25 minutes and obviously next season he might take a little bit of another dip but you know if this year's anything to go by he's still got a little bit left in the tank so for me the wing has always been the most important position for me in the NBA that's where the other best players in the NBA do lie LeBron James Kawhi Leonard Giannis you know obviously when Steph gets back that's going to be you know a different sort of conversation but for me wing depth is always key and you know that if the Nets could get another wing I'd be bloody happy yeah I think you look at that 3-4 spot like you said Jack you know the one and two you're good you got Kyrie you got Karras you got Dan Woody you got Harris and that's the ideal position you want to play those guys at and then the decision comes like do we want to play K- KD at the three or the four whatever it might be I think he's more of a four but if you have that interchangeable thing just makes me think of like what the Clippers have the prototype they have it's like the guys have to be between like six, seven, six, nine. They can play the three, they can play the four, and they have a defensive skill set. You look at the Paul George, the Kawhi Leonard, the Marcus Morris, you know, that type of guy. Obviously, it'd be ideal if they got an elite one, but I think anyone that could kind of fit the skill set of just giving you that three point shot, playing good defense that can 
ease the load on KD because I don't think anybody wants to see KD have to guard Giannis for an entire series or any other type of wing. It's just a lot to ask of him coming off an Achilles injury. Uh, I agree. I wish I didn't. I, I wish I did <laughs> to a degree. I mean, so the tough part about that 3-4 position is I think that every team in the league kind of wants yeah. that guy. Yeah. Like, it's it's by far and wide. Like, I think you could honestly make an argument, depending upon who you're looking at, that you could argue a really elite 3-4, three, 3 and D guy is maybe even more um, worth coveting than, like, a star player, depending upon who that star is. Um, and, I, I, you know, if you're just going off and I, I don't want to like throw names out there because I know that's going to turn into a whole snowball of <laughs> <laughs> discussion. But um, yeah, I, I, I think there is a world in which if you get a five that can guard multiple positions, and I wish Nawaba was still around because I think this would be a little bit more of an interesting question. If you can get a guy that can at least be a little bit better of a version than Torian Prince, maybe not like elite, but you get a five that's multi-positional and, and shoots threes. I think you could make an argument, but this is like super situational. I think you guys are ultimately right. <laughs> no, I think if you could find the center that is switchy and can shoot threes, like a la Miles Turner. But like the problem yeah. is, is there's just like such a limited amount of those guys. Maybe Miles Turner's the guy they look at, but then it yeah. gets to the whole DeAndre situation where DeAndre's back to the bench. If he's okay with that, then like Turner would be great because I think he's underrated in terms of being a switchy big. You know, maybe not as much this year with the Pacers defense, but last year I remember the Nets playing them and he was just like locking up D'Angelo Russell. It's not necessarily the hardest thing to do with like his athleticism, but I mean, uh, the three the three shooting big that can play defense is huge because. I think based, I know it's only a two game sample size, but based off what we saw in those two games, I think the Nets are going to be pushing, switching way more over the course of the rest of this season and next season. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. And like the Nets have proved, at least in years past, depending upon what, and like, I, I don't know, I, I think that you can get away with like doing the smaller, you know, maybe like a small three or like a, a kind of large two guard, two guard. You can get away with it in a way. Um, but I think ultimately it all comes down to, like, they do need a couple more defenders, no matter what yep. position you're delegating them. They just need guys that are a little more multi-positional. Um, you know, and I don't even know who their most multi-positional guy is on the roster right now. Like, is it uh, Garrett Temple? Like, I don't know. Karisavert, <laughs> wouldn't it? It'd be Karisavert right now. I think so, but I mean... Yeah. God, I think based off know. what we saw Karis over the last couple weeks of the season, he showcased yeah. some of that, like, defensive intensity that we've been fiending for. But, like, based off the course of the year, I think Garrett Temple was way more consistent. Right, and which has to improve. I mean, honestly, like, if they're yeah. going to get there. So, but, you know, and I, I actually think that, like, there's a case to be made, like, depending upon which star you're trading for, it honestly might be a little bit more valuable to chase, depending upon who it is, um, like, a, a, a role player in a sense. But, yeah. you know, it's all about what the market provides you with. I think, like, uh, I don't know if you put this out. I saw somebody put this out on Twitter. Like, you're okay trading your first-round picks now. It's really not going to matter. And, like, if it means, you know, packaging Torian Prince with two first-round picks to get a role player that helps your team a lot more, I think that's a really good move to make. And at the end of the day, you're trying to win championships. And also that kind of brings me back to the Drew Holiday trade because Drew Holiday almost counts as two defenders. Jack and I was, or Jack and I were lucky enough yeah. to see him live. And, like, his – off-ball defense for a guard like doesn't even make sense like he's helping <laughs> like he's a center and that's the type of thing i think the nets need when they have so many offensive driven players yeah and i think that names that just popped into mind and i was doing a little bit of research for those sort of <clears throat> cheap options Noah von and marvin williams and Noah von is as a sort of young guy i think that he was sort of 
somewhat linked to the to the Nets, you know, prior to to earlier this year. And then Marvin Williams as well is just sort of a guy who I think in these Milwaukee Bucks tenure has been really, really good for them and can shoot the three as well. So I think in terms of roster composition, we know Sean Marks is going to be looking at all of it, but we'll have to sort of wait and see how it all plays out. But can we now speak about the the topic that we've all been waiting for? Joe Harris has uh, been on IG Live, gentlemen, and we're going to spend at least a solid 40, 45 minutes on his quotes. Is that okay? Yeah, me and Matt are going to leave. We'll leave you here. You'll be good. We'll come back. (laughs) Well... Nonetheless, uh, the New York Post and plenty of other have sort of aggregated and, and got the main quotes from him. And he said that um, he's got a stationary bike from the Brooklyn Nets. He gets those daily workouts from the performance team. He's doing some bodyweight exercises. And he does have some basketballs around. You know, the, the thing that was making the way of NBA Twitter was like, who has basketballs? Who has a basketball court? And I quote, I have some basketball around. So I have enough space in my apartment where I can tinker around with some different basketball training apps like home, port, like home court, do some different dribbling drills. They're just little form shooting. If you're sitting on the couch just watching Netflix, hanging out, I can just shit there sh- shooting like you would be back in the day when you were a kid, just laying there, thinking about different scenarios, shooting the ball in your hands. I mean, Joe Harris is going to come back better than ever, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> the mental game, that's where it's at. Exactly, exactly. I mean, is that it does it sit well with you the fact that you know Joe's still putting in that work and, and being creative with it because he knows that you know, he is one of the, his prim, primary skill is shooting and he's figuring out ways to sort of, you know, maintain that skill and if not improve it. Back to the basics. That's, I mean, that's what you do as a shooter. I think that's like one of the first things you learn in like basketball in terms of shooting. Like they don't let you shoot in the hoop. You're practicing your form shooting and making sure the ball projects a certain way. And I also love the fact that the Nets sent all their players bikes because I heard yeah. Spencer say the same thing. I'm like jealous. <laughs> I would love to have a bike in my house right now. <laughs> I'm getting sick of the the hits workouts there. Yeah. The YouTube they're getting a, they're getting a bit uh, stationed. They're getting a bit um, stagnant for me. The the last little thing before we get to his quotes on on free agency and the contract, he's like, I'll just sit there doing some one handed shots, left handed shots. It's just one of those things. If you're just sitting there figuring out different ways of passing time, I'm not different than a lot of us. I love the game. We're just trying to get different stuff with the basketball, just passing the time. Uh, so I put to you boys: Is Joe Harris going to come back a left handed shooter? Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> Joe Harris has been focused forever. Like he, he is one of those guys that like, I think that, I mean, he's just achieved like he's overachieved in every sense of the word. Uh, He's got some great, like one of my favorite Joe Harris stories is about him, like uh, writing quotes on his wall and holes on his wall. It's an incredible story. Uh, I, that'd be nice. I mean, I, he's famous for the up and under move. Um, I, I actually would love to see him be a little bit more, uh, I guess, better with his left hand i don't know around the rim so i I would be into it and i what i really want to see for him when he comes back is you know with and i know he was devastated about kenny leaving uh i want to see a little more little just a little bit more mid-range joe i'm I'm ready for it (laughs) yeah i feel like we saw like the tiniest hint of it this year and it's like okay this might be a thing because teams pretty much know the scattering report on joe he's either going to shoot a three or he's going to try to drive to the rim and like you said if you improved on that left-handed help, because you can pretty much tell Joe's either trying to lay it in with that right, and if he doesn't get you know the backboard where he wants, he's going to go to that reverse layup. Players are starting to get a hang of that. So I think just adding your, adding that to your skill set is just making you that much better of a player. We talk about this a lot. Just being able to score, score on all levels just impacts you so much. Yeah, I think in that way as well, I 
remember putting a tweet a couple of weeks ago, if not maybe a couple of months ago, about Joe Harris's improved mid-range shooting in the sense that uh, I think that his mid-range is limited at this stage to the sort of free throw lines to the elbows. He, he likes it straight mm. on. And, you know, he is shooting, I think, about 48% from there, which is a great number. And I remember the video that I put out, you know, he had you know, defenders clamping in on him. One area I would like him to focus on in terms of his three-point shooting is becoming just more of a, a gunner, a Duncan Robinson, a, a Davis Bertan sort of style. You know, being just the guy who just shoots a million threes no matter what the situation sort of pertains. And he already can do it on the move like a few players can, you know, like those probably two guys and JJ Redick. There are a few guys in the league that can do it. But continuing to and hone in and being elite, elite, elite in that three-point shooting range uh, is going to benefit him even more greatly, I would say, too. Well, in the same way that he was playing with the mid-range, he was doing a little bit of that this year. Like, I yeah. it kind of, like, early, it was definitely a little bit more in the early, or I guess the early portion of the season. Um, because later in the season, he was just, like, trying to break his slump, which he actually, weirdly enough, like, I, I looked at some of the numbers just going through, like, month-to-month stats. He always seems to slump in January, which is very yeah. weird. But that's an aside. Um, he was toying with these, like, side stats and step backs. Yes. And he hit these threes that are just, like, daggers. And I'm just like, all right, like, feeling yourself, Joe Harris. I see you. So, um, yeah, I would love to see that. Like, I I just want to see them deploy him in different ways. And him, you know, and Kenny was awesome, awesome, awesome for giving guys the confidence they need. Um, Joe Harris is one of those guys I'm really interested to see what he's like outside of um, – you know, the, the, I guess the, the influence of Kenny, uh, I'm interested to see what it looks like next year for him. Um, and, and to see if he has that extra Duncan Robinson layer or JJ Redick layer, or is he just somebody that's really going to be more of like a, I'm taking straight on threes, you know, maybe I'll get to like a Kyle Korver level where I'm like, you know, pirouetting and, and, and hitting catch and shoot threes, but it's still mostly like within the sort of controlled statistical realm of what I think is analytically friendly. Yeah, it'd be interesting. And I think, like, honestly, a lot of Joe's clutch threes, like I just happened to pass by a YouTube highlight package of it, they were contested threes. So I think there maybe is an opportunity for him to hit those shots. It was more of like you mentioned, Matt, like maybe the analytics with Kenny and they're not really okaying those shots. But I think at some point against certain teams, those are the only shots he's going to get, including the playoffs. We saw it last year in Philly. He really struggled because you're not going to get wide open threes in the playoffs. There's always going to be a contest and there might even be a guy on your hip. Yeah, and you have to think about like the the influence of being like nurtured under the analytics. Yep. Like, that's essentially how he made it in in this industry is that he was somebody that was so analytically unbelievable. I mean, it's still crazy looking what he shoot for. Jack, you'll know this. 49% last year, right? Yeah, that's like 48, absurd, 49. That's like an absurd number to look at um over a full season of like healthy number of attempts. Um so, you know, that's how he made a name for himself. That's how he's going to earn presumptively pretty big money this summer. And I think that that's going to definitely have a little bit of influence on how his career goes forward and how he shapes himself as a player. Um, it's all kind of about what you grow from. So it's and it's I think a lot of times really hard to, sh- to change who you are at his age. So I don't know, but we'll see. You never know. Uh, it's every, things like this are a little unpredictable. <laughs> And he just might be a guy that just benefits greatly from playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Mm. Like, there's just going to be more space than he's ever played with. So I think just that alone, it'll be hard to separate. Is Joe actually taking a jump or is he just in a better situation? Yep. Yeah, true. Nick, how many views on that uh, YouTube video? 
I don't know. <laughs> well, if it's ten thousand, you can, you can bet that nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine have come from me. You know that, <laughs> and I'll make sure that I add that to my uh, OnlyFans page. But in in relation to the contract, to the contract, and he said this to Iron Eagle: In an ideal world, I'd play my whole career in Brooklyn. I came in with GM Sean Marks, even the ownership. It's just one of those things where you have a close connection with a lot of people that are within the organization. You kind of all came in together. Now I've been here for four years and built unbelievable relationships with everybody that's a part of the organization. It's amazing just to see where we've gone from year one to now. And I obviously want to be a part of that and be a part of it for a long time. Joe Harris, give him that max, please. Joe. Yes, please. I, I think it's, it sounds great for the Nets. I mean, like obviously Joe wants to be part of this team. He knows there's an opportunity to win a championship and to be one of the guys possibly from essentially when they were at the bottom of the league to end up at the top of the league. He's probably going to take a pay cut, and like we mentioned a lot on this show in previous shows, he's going to be a guy that's probably impacted by the salary cap change, depending on what happens this year with the whole coronavirus and if the season extends or whatever goes on, it can impact him, and it might be the difference of a couple million dollars, and at that time, it just makes more sense to stay what with what you know and to be in a great opportunity. And I'm not sure if Joe Harris is the type of guy that wants to go to a rebuilding team because he seems competitive. I obviously don't know him personally, but he just has that competitive vibe to him. Uh, it's, I'm surprised you guys even had me on after my, I don't know how much, if it, how far these things reach. I can, I never can tell who, <laughs> uh, where things reach. Uh, I, I did a little Twitter thread and I, I hate talking about Twitter on, <laughs> on podcasts and stuff like that. Especially well, we already cr- quoted your own article, so you're good. I know. This is just, yeah, this is just me being an asshole for an hour and a half. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're good. I, I, uh, I did a little thing about how I expected, cause I, I do feel this way. Um, about how I I expect some young team to like view him as the missing piece. I listed Atlanta. It was just sort of more like an arbitrary team with yeah. like money. Uh, so I'm surprised you guys even had me on here, especially you, Jack. <laughs> Did you hey, look, you didn't I see, can, he didn't see it. <laughs> no, I saw it. I saw it. But like I can I can look through a person's weaknesses and see them for what they are at their best. I know what you like at your best, man. I know you're a Joe Harris lover. You had a moment of weakness. It's it's a crazy time we're living in. So uh, we will move on from that. Uh, no more Joe Harris talk unless it is positive. Thank you very much. Final topic is uh, is a bit of a fun one. I put this out on OTG's uh, Twitter page. Again, speaking about Twitter, why not? At OTG Basketball. Who was better in his Brooklyn Nets tenure? KG, the Brooklyn Nets Hall of Famer, or Paul Piss, the guy who thinks he tells the truth but uh, rarely does? Ooh, this is a good question. Matt, you got this first. I already did my answer yesterday, so. Uh, I'm taking I'm taking KG just because he didn't slander the hell out of the organization when he left. <laughs> and he's still helping the team that Karis averts here only because <laughs> yeah. KD was traded for Thad Young. That's great. Yeah, uh, 100%. I don't even think this is a, a question. I mean, neither one of them did much for the organization whatsoever. So you got to take, you know, small sentimental value in things like this so low bar here <laughs> well yeah, i mean to make a to make a case for paul pierce he was decent in that uh toronto raptors playoff series made messiah jury a little bit angry so in terms of his on-court exploits yeah he was all right a little bit and for the for the record uh, paul pierce did win out 52 percent of the vote to 47.7 percent for kg so it was a tight squeeze yes i was going to mention that's that's the uh paul pierce i you know the 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 winner. The numbers tell us that he yeah. is he is the guy. He's the one who is uh, going to be remembered as the as a great Brooklyn Net. <laughs> 
I'm not going to lie. I had name and number tees for both of those players when they first got traded because I was so hyped. I was probably in <laughs> high school or college. And I can tell you for a fact I threw out the Paul Pierce one. Wow. 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 Well, at least we're speaking about more fun things. Imagine how, <laughs> how, quickly, how quickly things have changed. And now we get to think about championships with a, a much better, more stable core. I mean, maybe that's uh, what some people don't think, but I certainly think of it. Lads, anything else you wanted to chat about? It's been a fun pod. Good to put out some more Nets content for you all. No, I think this is this is great. Thank you guys for having me on. Um, it was fun to chat all things Nets. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, anytime you guys want me to come back on, please do not hesitate to ask. This is great. Pleasure having you on, Matt. Always fun talking nets with you, Jack. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.